off the ball. It's not okay for him to be fine in a test match like that. It's a fulcrum position where everything runs through nine and ten. You don't get to be fine in in matches like that where you start. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is was just lacked that intensity. Have you done this before? Do you know what you're doing? Are you, are you okay on your own here? Yeah, let's what? go. Let's yeah. go. Let's okay. do it. Uh, so Basically, we have a traffic light system, Shane. Okay, talk, talk us through it for the, for the viewers is, that don't know either. Red is bad. Okay. Amber is like, meh. And green is go. Okay, so we get to the good stuff at the very end, the positive stuff at the end. So we start yeah. off on it with a really negative start to the Monday morning. The red red, the really maroony red, is FIFA and Kintar, Jer. Uh, I guess we could say the fans and what happened yesterday in the, the first game. Like I was watching the opening ceremony with Morgan Freeman and I was thinking, this is bizarre. Um, and then you see the, the empty seats emerge in the second half and you're thinking, oh, they're just, they're just picking up their little feeds and their, their non-alcoholic drinks at halftime and enjoying themselves and having a chat. But... Uh, those people never took their seats. Um, so by the end of the game, there's thousands upon thousands of empty seats. And I know a lot of journalists, Gavin Cooney was in the, the stadium as well, and they were kind of saying it was just a bit of a bizarre atmosphere. You saw the uh, the Qatari fans behind the, the goal who apparently had been there from, from well before kickoff. Um, and bear in mind, this is a stadium 40 kilometres outside of Doha, I'm fairly sure. Middle of the desert, traffic situation wouldn't be the best. Um, but it, it was just a bizarre one. And then you're seeing the likes of Erdogan up in the up in the the comfy seats with the, the FIFA top brass and the Saudis and the other golf leaders. And uh, it all just felt a little bit strange. If you're watching on TV, you saw the Gary Lineker kind of kicked it all off with a, a fairly reasonable speech that he would have prepared for, for quite some time and, and spoke out fairly vehemently against the, the um, Qataris, which was, which was powerful. And then you see Gary Neville over on BN Sports, the, the Qatari channel with, with uh, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray and... Uh, probably less so. I think he was a little bit more toned down on Qatari television than, than he perhaps was at home. But um, I don't know how you felt, Jared, but the, the whole thing for me had to be in the red this morning in terms of uh, the the whole first day experience. Like, we're not even talking about the match, and, and for good reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the match uh, in some way redeemed a little bit uh, the sport itself in that, like, you know, I definitely, when the first offside decision was made, you're like, oh, it looks like the fix is in here. Yeah. Um, I still don't really understand the offside decision, even after they show some VAR. Oh. It's like, well, when was that ball played? And is he, is that who? Is yeah, that? and when was he offside? Like, like what, what point in the whole scoring of the goal is this? It's obviously, like, it's when the ball is played to him. Yeah, but... but uh, it, it was, uh, anyway, it looked, it looked, it did look like, oh, this is not going to be great. And then they award the penalty... Which I think is an important moment uh, in football history where it's okay, the fix is not in. That's good. Yeah. And, um, and from that point forward, at least Enter Valencia wins the game. And uh, you can't, you know, you can't just uh, buy the tournament uh, any more than they've already bought the tournament. And you have to say that it's backfiring pretty rapidly, right? Like an empty stadium, uh, people constantly talking about the migrant workers and uh, human rights issues. Like, is Qatar, will their reputation be enhanced by having this? And and maybe the sports watching isn't working for a change. No. Maybe the sports watching is actually having the, 
Barbra Streisand effect. Yeah, like. usually, and usually it does work. We've spoken the show many times about how sports washing has worked, and uh, all of a sudden we're talking about Newcastle United's performances on the pitch and forgetting about the Saudis. But on this occasion, you're seeing the empty seat and you're thinking, like Mark Ogden made the point on Twitter yesterday, a uh, football journalist in the UK, he was talking about the fact that he's seeing Argentinian fans walking around in Qatar and, and how passionate they are, and he saw the same in Russia. They were probably the fan, the, uh, the country with the most fans in Russia, I think he made that point. And like, you know, nowadays we should be giving a World Cup to countries with the most passionate fans. And yes, we're giving a World Cup to a country with absolutely no football culture. That, I'm not saying that the Middle East shouldn't get a World Cup, of well, course so, we should. Uh, yeah, like it's possible to have all of these uh, competing notions in your head at the same time. I, I do think that a Winter World Cup is not the uh, massive aberration that um, the Anglo-centric world thinks it is. Like, uh, it's a Winter World Cup for everybody in the Southern Hemisphere every time. Mm. You know, like, but it doesn't work with our football season like, well your football season is not the only football season in the world yeah sure the Premier League is the biggest and richest but like if the biggest and richest always gets whatever they want that's not really the whole point of this so I do think that like so I, I saw the clip of Gary Neville saying that a Muslim country and a Middle Eastern country should be getting the World Cup I actually would agree with that yep. this isn't it isn't the World Cup of democracy either it isn't the World Cup of Commonwealth of like-minded states it is supposed to be genuinely a World Cup and like um, at some point loads of uh, at some point, all of those conversations about everybody's foreign policy can lead you to go, well, okay, we can't actually do any, we can't have any dealings with this country. But um, so, notwithstanding all that, Qatar shouldn't have had it. Like, that's very clear, right? Well, uh, yeah. And it's becoming increasingly clear that they're not really ready for it and that it's going to be a bit of a shit show. And uh, so, hopefully, this whole thing has backfired. Like, but having said that, Gianni Infantino has been reappointed unopposed for a third term, so nothing's going to change. Today I feel, yeah, he's just the most bizarre speech ever that you'll ever see in advance of a World Cup. Like you start to wonder, does Gianni Infantino have people around him that, that are telling him not to to speak, or does he have too much power that maybe they're afraid to to stop him from saying certain things? But um, if anyone had looked over that speech in advance, I mean, surely you would have said. Hold, hold well, it was ripped here. off from um, Andrew Cuomo, the um, New York politician from 2017. So I'd say they thought it was great. I was like, oh yeah, I'll have a little bit of that, and it's um, you know. I mean, in the right hands, the speech could have been very powerful. Like, you know, if somebody wasn't a complete hypocrite uttering the words. But uh, I think we should move on from this because I'm, I'm already like yeah. vexed and tired of it. Yeah, so that's red. The first red, yeah. FIFA and Qatar. Second red, uh, slightly less red, um, rugby head injuries. Still a very serious issue. And uh, I mean, the conversation has flared up out of uh, Ireland's 13-10 win over Australia on Saturday night at the Aviva. And uh, Nick White. And for anyone who watched the match, you'll have seen that the uh, worrying images of, of him being very unsteady on his feet, um, per balance. I, d- I don't know what he was like in terms of his coordination, and that was a point made on, on, on television afterwards. Um, and, and this whole issue of what did he have a dazed, blank, vacant look? I mean, you can make your own mind up. Um, interesting discussion at Virgin Media with Joe and, and uh, Matt Williams and uh, Rob Carney afterwards. Uh, Matt very much making the point that you have to trust the medical professionals on this situation and Rob Carney kind of saying you know you have to err on the side of caution when it comes to concussion and he's someone they're both in fact people who have, who have experienced concussion at some point in their, in their own careers um, and they reference the Jeremy Lockman situation as well and we know that concussion symptoms sometimes don't show, show up for 24-48 hours which is a very fair point to make and with Nick White you don't have to be a doctor to, to look at those images and say well that's concerning if he doesn't have concussion, he's unsteady on his feet for some other reason. And, and regardless, he needs to be 
taken off the pitch for his own sake. Um, so yeah, listen to medical people, yes, but it is rugby's biggest issue, and, and the lads made that point in television. It's a very, it was very concerning. I don't know what you made of it, Jer. I think um, I think the fundamental issue here is that the HIA is not suitable, and uh, so by their own laws, uh, there shouldn't have been a HIA. But the fact that there was a HIA, even after the referee says I saw him stumble. Um, means that the system isn't working and we're going to talk about this with Alan Quinn a little bit later on he sent me a link last night to an NPR story that came out in the aftermath of uh, Tua Tunga Viola he's the Miami Dolphins QB he was concussed one week and then the next week he went back out and played having been essentially cleared to play through their version of the protocols which you know the HIA is a part of rugby's protocols and then the next week got a horrific injury and was uh, was sparked clean out. Uh, now has since come back and made a full recovery. So you know you hope that there are no lingering issues from it. But what happened in the aftermath of that was that the NFL decided that they were going to change the rules because the rules here clearly aren't working. So whatever whatever the disputes about the symptoms, like once somebody stumbles, they're supposed to be taken out for their own good. Uh, it's possible that the stumbling was missed by the independent medical people. Um, you would hope that they're listening to the ref mic and that they can hear that and that um, there's not just one of them. You know, in a situation like this, it's possible that there are going to be multiple concussions at the same time. So you would hope that there are more than one. And so somebody else is like, you keep watching there to see if there's any other bits of data or information or evidence that will help us to make our decision. Because even at that stage, like, why are they going through the HIA? You know, so Nick White says, I was pulled off by the physio to do a HIA. That's the first problem. I felt fine. I passed my HII. I went back on. He's subsequently been stood down for 12 days, right? Um, because they've, there's, there's like a, a series of um, criteria that uh, if you meet any of these, you get automatically stood down for 12 days, which is now the amount of time that they're, they're doing. Remember, it used to be shorter than that. Like in, in years to come, we look back on that period where you could get concussed on a Saturday and be yeah. out of the protocol in time for the following Saturday and go, uh Really? That doesn't seem like a very good thing anymore. Um, so now now it's gone out to 12 days, and he's saying that, like, um, I feel good, I passed my HIA, it's good to go. Like, I'm 78 kg running up against these blokes. Mate, I feel fine now. You guys can attest to that. The process, I did the HIA and passed it. I'm good. How often do I run out of the corner, out of a line-out, and get bashed by three blokes? I was just a little ginger. I'm fine, mate. So, um, I think the fundamental issue here is that the game doesn't quite yet know how to deal with this properly even though it's being sued on multiple fronts and even though it's the major concern that any parents have that any players have that any ex-players have about the long-term damage that brain injuries are going to cause and this keeps happening like it just keeps happening the same thing keeps happening again and again and again and uh, rugby's doing its best to try and get on top of it, but whatever they're doing at the moment is clearly failing. And so therefore, you have to say, go back and change your rules. Mm. Like, uh, an organisation as uh, self-protective as the NFL and that uses up the lives of its protagonists in a brutal way, um, even they changed the rules. Even they were like, well, maybe we need to revisit this. And it, it, like, in large part, it was driven by the Players Association. So... I actually don't think that the rugby players associations around the world have been anywhere near as strong as they should be. They're all very close to their respective rugby unions. And what are they doing about this? Like, where where are they saying, okay, 
we're going to go on strike or everybody's going to wear their socks down next week or everybody's not going to take, uh, take part in sponsor activities around the next internationals or something. Like, what are they doing to say, fix this uh, world rugby? Because, you know, where's the, where's the impetus for change coming? So that was it. I think uh, it is a very complicated issue. I hope uh, Nick White has no long-term damage I understand the pressure that the independent medical person is under it's like split second stuff and if they didn't if they were focused on the first bit as opposed to the second bit and so therefore they're like well he, he banged his head but he got up okay and he's, he's fine here he's in the room now and he's passed all his, his tests like um, if nobody had told the independent medical uh, person that there had been stumbling then what are they supposed to do because they can't magic it into existence you know if you don't know what you don't know that's yeah, and it was it was quite obvious to everyone in the in the stadium who saw the two incidents on the on the big screen that that you know he was he was unsteady on his feet that's for sure and and the independent doctor needs to be made aware of that you know if they're not aware of it then they need to be made aware of any video evidence that that kind of backs up potential concussion and like it's okay it's okay Nick White saying that you know I feel fine mate but the reality is it's not down to the players so, you know a player can't decide while they're concussed whether whether or not they should be able to play on and and even twenty four forty eight hours later. They, they might still be feeling the effects of concussion and not knowing it. So, yeah, we do need to listen to medical people. But um, yeah, as Rob Connie said, it's the single biggest issue facing facing rugby at the moment, and there's still a long, long, long way to go, as we've seen from from recent studies. Right. What's next? Republic of Ireland into the uh, the amber, I guess. Irish football. So we had the, the two one defeat to Norway, of course, uh, disappointing and a poor performance as well. Uh, and then Malta last night. Um, if, right, let's look at the positives for, for a second because uh, we, we rarely do that. Jamie McGraw was good. Callum O'Dowda has come out of these couple of games with his, with his head up. Um, Mark Sykes from the Ormo Road in uh, Belfast. First Belfast-born player to line out for the Republic since the 1940s. Really? Yeah, apparently so. So uh, really good to see him get his, get his first um, appearance. Evan Ferguson, more, more uh, football as well for the first team. Um, a win and a clean sheet, I guess, is, is a positive from last night. Uh, and people like Nathan Collins, of course, staying firm and keeping those clean sheets. Uh, Quiven Keller to get his appearance as well. That's a stretch. Uh, now, the, the, re- the reality of it and the negatives on this is that it's Malta. Now, we should probably be, be beating Mal- a team like Malta by, by three or four goals. I don't think there's anybody in world football we should be beating by three or four goals. Possibly right? not. There but isn't. Like, there, I, I think that that time has passed. We're like, uh, we're really at bottom of the second tier, top of the third tier in European football and like all of those teams can put in a defensive performance and at least draw against us like we don't have those rights anymore we no, don't. but if you look at the, the level of players we have on the team we have a few Premier League players and then a majority of Championship and a few League One like Malta aren't anywhere close to the level of, of the players in the Republic of Ireland squad and, and we even talk about how the Irish squad is nowhere near what it was in the 90s which is fair yeah and we, we actually have struggled against Malta even when we had those brilliant teams yeah yeah, and that's maybe international football and players not being used to playing with each other. But I mean, you, like last night, you look at the the first touch of some of the players, the, uh, the the look of concern some of them had when they were on the ball. Like, well, that's not good. No, it's worrying. And and you're heading into March now against France and the Netherlands, and you're thinking, well, Jesus, like, how are we supposed to? Like, the only positive you can take from the last week as well is that Malta drew, I think, two two with Greece. So, I mean, Greece are going to be in our group as well, and. I'd be concerned about Greece. They're probably the, the worst out of that pool of teams we could have got, uh, been drawn with. Um, I, I really don't know what the, what the positives are. The whole Stephen Kenny conversation is going to keep going. Of course it is. It's, it's, it's not going to stop. But then people turn around and say it's a results business as well. 
and he got the win last night, I guess. It was only friendly. So I, I think um, I think you're right to focus on the performance after a game like that, and yeah. I'm sure they will too. I think um, the some of the tabs of the morning. Here's to few Mr. Robinson. Is the back of the mirror very good? And they also have Kenny's Rob of the Green, which isn't great. Uh, that's Callum Robinson. There was another one. So what? What's this word? Can you can you see the screen? Uh, yeah. What What's this bottom word here? This word. Malta here. barely. Yeah. Come on. Malta barely. Malt barley. Exactly. Right. But like. Barely, barely. Come on. That's a stretch, is it? Come on, folks in the star. You can do better than that. <laughs> they tried. At least they tried. No, here's, uh, this is better. Multi Towers. Ah, that's okay. Oh, you know, that's yeah. the inside one. Yeah, I like that one. They could have gone right on the back page. A and B. Uh, yeah. uh, the most pointless game of all time. Uh, you know, when it comes straight after the opening World Cup game, albeit a fairly dour World Cup opening game in terms of the two teams involved. Uh, like, 7 o'clock kickoff in an international friendly that means absolutely nothing. It's tough to get excited for it. Uh, 700 Irish fans over there as well, making a lot of noise. Well, I'd say the weather's slightly better than it is here this morning. Yeah. Uh, Will says, ha I agree with Jerry about our current level, but I don't remember it being so realistic under McCarthy last tenure. Well, Mick McCarthy wasn't picking the right team. You know, he couldn't get Matt Doherty in the side. And uh, our performance against Gibraltar was much worse than it was against Malta last night. And I'd, I'd seen Mick McCarthy manage really good players before and not do a great job with it. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Joe, the question you need to ask after two years is, can he making progress? The answer is no, says Il Postino 88. I've been defending him since the beginning. Now it's just not happening. Uh, the subs were ridiculous. Hendrick has played through all the qualifiers and Nations League. Why not give Smallbone those minutes? I did think that there was an opportunity there to give Smallbone, but I guess they couldn't risk another collapse the way we have seen the team have a recent collapse at the Aviva yeah. in a game that was like won and dusted. Uh, Dyer Shocknessig says more skill and genuine commitment in the Ballygunner versus the Pearsie game than this entire World Cup sham uh, yeah tying everything nicely together uh, Will says worryingly it looks as if the players enthusiasm for playing for him Stephen Kenny has waned I don't know how do you tell that from like an end of season friendly like uh, I mean it's obviously not the end of season but it's the end of that competition is now over and there's a new competition starting and we'll have the world's best players coming in short quick rapid fire to the Aviva I think they're going to get up for that and I'm hopeful that something happens but I don't expect something to happen at this stage but should, like should, we've got a tough group should the motivation not be there to line out for your country even if it isn't a friendly it's an international but, friendly but, but when you mean, say the motivation what do you mean it's like, a cap it's a cap for your country sensational you're going to put the best performance of all time in yeah. or you're like you know this doesn't actually mean anything I've got to get up for it slightly differently I'm trying to win my place here I'm trying to impress yeah all of the above you're, you're trying to win your place you're trying to impress Stephen Kenny you're playing for your country you thought we should have won that game 3-0 last night all singing all dancing the way we always do in away matches in international no no, but, but like with the, t- with the players on our team and the players on the Malta team I mean we should be winning those games and, and look I understand the conservatism and one of the uh, listeners has made that point that he's quite conservative with the substitutions Stephen Kenny was making that point in the press conferences in the last two weeks all along because he said it's a results business and he needs to start picking up wins well, albeit in friendlies it doesn't matter uh, so I understand that we just struggled against the low block. Malta had a low block. We struggled against weaker teams for some reason. I just, I just don't understand why. Like on paper, my point is that they should have been winning a game against the likes of Malta two or three nil. Like, like we didn't. We only won because of. I don't think the that we could play at the moment, and you go, "Oh, we're definitely going to beat these three nil." Like in, in international football, I don't. I think those days are gone. That's the first thing. And um, look, I think. Uh, 
It's a big campaign coming up next and the team needs to perform much better than it's performing at the moment. Should we not beat Gibraltar by 3 or 4 nil? In, in I think the, if, we, if we're like, I mean... We should. <sighs> we mightn't though. Well, so what's, what does history teach you? That we should do these things that we don't actually ever do anymore, then... Then we lose to the Pharaohs. Well, then our expectation isn't that good. Or, or like, I, it should be... Re- I don't... This, this doesn't... These, these literal international friendlies barely exist anymore. Yeah. And so I think they're kind of useless as reference points in the long term and medium term. What we've seen from Stephen Kennedy's side is they can put in really good performances against very good teams. They have struggled consistently against sides which defend against us in any meaningful way and I mean I was flicking I'm not going to lie I was flicking back and forth from this game last night to the NFL going I mean maybe I'll just watch some of the uh, red I was, zone I here. was doing the same with the snooker I have to, I have I have to a little bit of red zone in my life I, yeah. why should I be punished what do we do to deserve this Malta game yeah it was tough it was tough uh, so it was, I think we should be sticking a pin in the Ireland stuff until the March yeah, and then it's do or die and that's it like you know judge me on this yeah okay well actually you know and you made a rod for your own back by talking about um, winning the Nations League group. But it's good to have ambition. And uh, it'd be very ambitious for us to think about qualifying from the draw that we've got. But, like, that's the, that's the game. And um, let's see what happens. We're going to talk about this in more detail with David Snade. So if you've got proper football opinions you want us to get to, we will get to it. Uh, we've one of the best young centre-backs in Europe. Play 4-3-3, says Neil Martin. I mean, OK, we definitely have a very highly rated centre-back. But his form is not good at the moment. Like, not good against Norway. Not good last night, was it? No. Uh, I mean, again, I didn't see the full 96, 97 minutes. Like, McLean wasn't good last night. Um, Matt Doherty, I, I, I'd almost suggest that, like, could you, put, could you play Matt Doherty for Ireland at left wing back and have him tucking in on his, on his stronger foot? I, I definitely think that that's... Uh, An option. Yeah, I think that he, he did it. He did, he did it well the one night that it happened. And, yeah. Um, so his form's not great at the moment. Uh but I don't know. I, I definitely would love to see a bit more from our better players. Mm. The experienced heads and, and McLean and, and Doherty are two of those. And even you've seen the likes of Hendrick coming on and not doing much. But look, it's a friendly. And I take your point. It's hard for them players to get motivated. I think you should be motivated playing for your country. But when you're looking at everyone, everyone else heading off to the World Cup in March is the next competitive fixtures. I understand. Chris Cal says, in before the anti Kenny, the only time to start judging Kenny is from March, not before. And uh, Jared Lynch of the World Cup says, it felt very strange, the whole run up to it and everything about it. Not the same. FIFA World Cup should be in the summer. Uh, you know, I mean, as I said, uh, you know, it's summer in our part of the world in summertime. But it's actually winter in half of the world, literally half of the world it's winter so you know our summer is the only one that matters fair point we do forget that sometimes onto the green yeah onto the green so uh, into the, the slightly yellowy green but uh, Irish rugby um, I think that's where it belongs because it's been a strange one um, because we've won three from three so we should be we should be buzzing shouldn't we but uh, realistically I don't know how we all feel uh, like Brent Pope made, made the point after the match with, uh, with Steve-O on, uh, on Saturday night against Australia like it's like boxing against rugby. You kind of sometimes struggle, uh, but if you can, if you can get over the line and get the wins, and you know, a number of years ago we'd have taken any sort of win against the likes of Australia. Uh, you know, to have beaten Australia, to have beaten South Africa, to have beaten New Zealand, to be the world number one team in the world, heading to the Six Nations. I mean, in that perspective, it is in the green. We're record equaling twelfth consecutive home win for Ireland. That's positive. Um, a November clean sweep. Some really good performances. Ross Byrne with cojones of steel. Yeah. Josh van der Fleer is the real reason this is in the uh, like definitely yeah well in the that's green. huge so world player of the year is um, is van der Fleer which 
does not happen very often. Keith Wood uh, at the very start, <laughs> Johnny Sexton once, and um, and now Van der Fleer. That yeah. is. We'll talk more with Quinny about this. The team has been named there. Um, Sexton was in a ten, um, so I could just make it out for you. Ellis Genge, Malcolm Marks, Tyke Furlong, Tyke Burns, two Tigers. Sam Whitelock makes it. Uh, Pablo Matera of Argentina, Just van der Fleer, Gregory Aldred at eight. Uh, the French were very upset that he didn't get shortlisted. Dupont at nine, Sexton at ten. Uh, Marika Corobetti from Australia, if I got the pronunciation right. Uh, Damien de Ellende uh, from South Africa. Kanye Am, Will Jordan and um, Stewart uh, at fullback for England. Uh, so that, is that the most we've ever had? Yeah, that's that's pretty. I mean, that's not bad. You take four in the in the World Player Team of the Year. Like, I saw a lot of people, and this is the same with the PFA Team of the Year or with the All Stars. You're always looking at, at who's been left out, and and Ebenezer for South Africa has been left out. Sevilla for the All Blacks left out. So probably a couple of players that could have been put in, but we're not complaining with our four. And um, really, really nice to hear Josh Van der Fleer talking afterwards about the fact that you know, when he was a kid, he used to keep track of all the the World Rugby Players of the Year in the top three and and kind of learn them off by heart. And here he is. The third Irishman to win that award after after Keith Wood, as you say, and Jonathan Sexton. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. I, I don't I don't know to be expected. He had an unbelievable year, Van der Fleer, but I, I hadn't heard any word that he was a prime position for this award. Oh, I think it had been uh, it had been the chatter since the All Blacks. Really, it's like, yeah. oh, he's in the running here. He's, you know, uh, he's been showing up in all the big games, and of course, it's, it's actually only the internationals that count for this. Um, Fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the Six Nations, he'd, he'd been, you know, one of our best players in that. But Dupont had actually been player of the tournament. And I, it's pretty harsh. And Dupont's the best player in the world. Um, but fair play. Van der Fleer, totally deserved. Big win for Irish rugby there in the green. What's next? Yeah, we'll take them. And uh, next in the green, uh, a very, very good weekend for Irish golf. So no no winners, which uh, seems strange. But uh, we'll start with Leona Maguire. So uh, she was at the CME Group Tour Championship in Florida. She f- ended, up, ended up finishing runner-up to, uh, to Lydia Ko. It was a $2 million uh, prize for the winner. But not a bad weekend for Leona because she uh, collects $550,000 for her second-place finish. Sensational line under 63 on Saturday. She had started the third round, uh, I think it was seven, po- seven shots behind uh, Lydia Ko. And a really unbelievable performance on Saturday brought her right back in contention. She uh, drew level with, with Lydia Ko after the third round. Um, and you know she had said afterwards if you if you'd offered her second at the start of the week she would have taken your hand off. Uh, really tricky conditions as well yesterday in the final round. So to finish second and to pick up over half a million dollars for her weekend's work, uh, not bad at all for Leona Maguire. Seamus Power as well, huge step again towards Ryder Cup selection. And, and every week he's kind of proven week on week that that he really should be in this Ryder Cup uh, team. So came up just short in his bid to win uh, for the second time in three starts. But he tied for fifth in the RSM Classic. This was at Sea Island. So went into the final round, tied for 13th. So kind of opposite to, to Maguire. He was three shots behind the leaders. Uh, but a really, really good uh, final round. 466. The winner was Adams Venson, the Canadian. He carded 664 to win. Um, but Power still wins $277,000. And uh, will be top of the FedEx Cup standings when this uh, tour arrives in Kapalua in uh, January. That'll be his next big one, the uh, Century Tournament of Champions. Um, so, I mean... First, third and fifth in his last three starts, Seamus Power. Uh, and uh, look, more Ryder Cup qualifying points. So that's the, that's the big one. And he even spoke afterwards about being disappointed with his performance in some, in some regards. So he should be a shoe-in for this Ryder Cup team and it will be great to see him. And then Rory McIlroy. 
so finishing the year as European number one for the fourth time in his career. First time though since 2015. John Ram was the was the winner, and John Ram was unbelievable at the weekend. He won the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai by two shots over Terrell Hatton and Alex Noren. Um, McElroy was back in fourth, finishes top of these DP World Rankings. Uh, so Matt Fitzpatrick uh, blew up around the turn. So Matt Fitzpatrick, of course, the US Open back in June. He needed to win, and for McElroy to not finish runner-up or to finish second, and McElroy to be outside the top seven. But uh, he capitulated a li- little bit on the back nine, Matt Fitzpatrick, uh, to allow Rory McElroy to finish number one for the fourth time in his career. He was very consistent, um, and look, I guess the next question for Rory is, when can he break this eight-year major drought? But the way he's playing, Jer, I mean, you have to feel like it's it's right around the corner. Now, there's no guarantees in a major. You're, like, you're never guaranteed to win a major, but the way Rory is playing, surely it's in the next year. Well, yeah, you kind of feel like it's... Um, Which would? It's, uh, it's bubbling up, and definitely his best chance is coming in the next six months. So, uh, Right, they are your, this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. If you've got a view on them, you can get it into us. 087-9180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette.